Hey, listen, I just want to start out with a little mini rant uh, this week because I am so frustrated with this one particular point of view and I want to kill it if I can kill it. it would, my life would feel better if I could kill this perspective from every single writer's head, heart, soul, spirit, whatever you believe in. If I could kill this perspective for every single writer, I'd be pretty dang happy. That wouldn't be all of my goals. But it'd be a pretty darn big one. And here it is, okay? I'm going to ask you what your definition of success is, and you're going to answer, if I could just, you know, make one person happy, if I could just delight one person, if I could, if I could change one person's life. And that is so limiting and so frustrating. The way I think about it is uh, consider weight loss goals. When you set a weight loss goal, okay, you're you're heavy set like I am and you're trying really hard to get things back under control. What happens when you hit the goal? Do you keep losing weight? If you hit the goal, do you keep losing weight? No, you stop. So if you want to if you want to write a book and put years of your energy and effort into making this thing great and your goal is to touch one person's life, I, please just quit. I really, truly, please just quit. Because what a waste of your human potential and energy. If that's if the, if you're thinking that small, then just don't worry about it. And if you're the kind of person who's trying to, I don't know, virtue signal or show that you are a really amazing kind of character and you have humility and you're saying if you could just change one life, that'd be great because you want people to know that you aren't um, what like selfish or egotistical or something. Stop it. You have so much ego to even come to that point of view that you only want to change one person's life. Again, what a waste of what you could do. So this has absolutely nothing to do with today's show, but I really wanted to just rant quickly because I was frustrated. I was in the moment and it was time to edit this great podcast. So now that we're done with the rant, I want to introduce you to my amazing guest, by far the most sold author I've had on this show, by the name of Stephen James, traditionally published author. He wrote a book that I recently read called Singularity. It's not his most recent, but it's a really fun ride. You'd really enjoy it if you like magic, if you like artificial intelligence, if you like intrigue or thrillers. It's so much fun. And talking to Stephen James, he drops gem after gem after gem, all after saying he's not a marketer. That's crazy to me. So please do enjoy this episode with Stephen James. Hey, I'm the Reluctant Book Marketer, and I've got just one question for you. Do you see your novel as a million-dollar asset? Because if you don't, and you want to, you're in the right place. This is the only show for novelists who want to shift their mindset away from fear and toward abundance. Because you can sell more books than you ever dreamed when you believe in what you're doing. My first published book came out before my first novel, right? So that was a few years earlier. It was a nonfiction book. and uh, But my first novel, The Pawn, came out in, I think, 2006 uh, with Ravel Publishing. And um, I had done some nonfiction books with them over the previous few years. 
And so I wrote to them and I was like, I really want to do a novel. Do I really have to write the whole thing first? That's what everyone tells me. And they're like, well, write the first 50 pages and we'll look at it. So I was like, all right, cool. So I wrote 50 pages and they gave me a three book deal from that. Wow. So that's kind of how I got started writing uh, novels. So, uh, I mean, it's different. It's a different journey for everyone, right? So some people have done uh, a novel as their first book. Some people it's different, but for me, it ended up being uh, that I'd done some nonfiction first and then moved, shifted a little bit into uh, longer storytelling. So with that in mind, did you know in the back of your head that you wanted to write novels? Because a couple of things. One, you said to me just before we hit record, I'm not a marketer. So, you know, I hope nobody thinks I'm an expert, but you, you were able to pitch and sell a three book deal off of 50 pages, which anybody listening right now, I'm going to say most of us, uh, that's like a pipe dream that we would never even imagine trying to accomplish, but also you know, you said, I'm a storyteller. And so yeah. that doesn't fit with the ethos that I'm used to hearing from the nonfiction world. So talk about both of those things. Well, my background really is in telling stories. Okay. So I started to tell stories and write short fiction back in the nineties. So I'm dating myself, but it's about been doing this for a while. So, but anyway, so then I started to do some short, um, short story collections and some educational books um, back in early two thousands. So I, by the time I wrote a novel, I'd been writing pretty much for a decade professionally. So I'd written for over 80 different magazines and, and I'd done quite a lot of, of writing. And so for me, when I approached uh, my publisher, basically I kind of knew what I was doing when I wrote the first 50 pages. So it wasn't like my first venture into storytelling or the publishing world. And so um, I honestly feel like Every publisher I've worked with over the years, I've worked with a number of them and lots of different editors. <laughs> they are looking for something to love. That's what they're looking for. I mean, mm -hmm. some people will say where they're looking for a reason to say no. I understand where people are coming from when they say that. Um, but really, they're looking for something that just knocks their socks off. And if they find it, they'll be like, we, you know, we've got to get this. And so, mm -hmm. so a lot of a lot of selling your work to publishers is writing. I'm not saying my stuff's all amazing, but to write something amazing yeah. where they read it and they're like, we have got to pick this up. So I've got lots of rejection letters over the years. I've got a whole, you know, file full of rejection letters. Um, but all it takes is one. Yes. You know, so if you, if you have 20 rejections for a book and you get one, yes, that's all you're shooting for really. So, so it's all about, I feel like the best thing you can do is tell a great story. And so I really focus in my seminars when I teach writing and storytelling is dive into the essence of a story. Stories are not just lists of events that happen. They're pursuits that are undertaken. And so, so getting to know who your character is, what their pursuit is, what their unmet desire is, their choices, the setbacks, the the struggles, the pivots and twists, all of these things, you know, really elevate, elevate the stories that, uh, that you write. It's, it's interesting to hear that perspective. And I think everything you're saying is true. It also doesn't completely match my experience. And I'm going to be the last one to write that off to saying um, that it has anything to do with the environment then and now, but my agent picked up my novel in 2019 and went to market with it. And we started out, you know, top tier, the big five go in that direction. 
And we got several bites pretty quickly. And they asked like, uh, you know, how are you going to sell this book? And mm -hmm. I was like, well, you know, I mean, it's a great book. People love great books. So it's going to yeah. sell itself, right? Not so much. And so, you know, they kind of put me on the back burner and uh, I didn't stir up enough interest to get people competitively bidding for the book. Uh -huh. And so that just kind of cascaded into a worst case scenario where I had a book that editors kept saying, yeah, we like this, but we mm -hmm. don't know, you know, how to sell you. You don't, you have a Facebook with 200 friends and they're all people that you went to school with or call you family. Yeah. Um, and so that's part of it too, is that I didn't do myself any favors by building uh, a network. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you were involved in the community around that time when you published the, the, those books? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things that popped to mind. Uh, first, things have changed since, you know, 2005 yeah. or six, uh, as far as what marketers and or what publishers will say, you know, like what's your social imprint, footprint and all this yeah. kind of stuff. Um, and so, um, so that is somewhat different. Um, I speak quite a bit at different events. I teach writing. I tell stories at different types of programs. And so over the years, I've collected different uh, amounts of names for newsletters and things like that. So I invite people, even though like we've talked about, like it's now a specialty market. I'll you know mention, oh, I have a newsletter and you know, yeah. I don't overwhelm you with stuff, but if I'm new, you know, book coming out, I'll let you know and, mm -hmm. and things like that. So, you know, over the years we've gathered about almost 5,000, you know, names and so on for the newsletter and not, yeah. not amazing, but just little by little chipping away at, at yeah. the number. And, uh, you know, as far as, you know, what publishers will say, um, they want, I don't know how to say it's like, Things have shifted so that a lot of publishers are asking authors to do what they used to do, what the publishers used to do when it comes to spreading the word, marketing, and so on. And so I get it that that they'll say maybe what's your platform and, and all this kind of mm -hmm. stuff. Platform tends to be more of the question that comes up with nonfiction mm. than with fiction. So, um, so if you are pitching nonfiction, then like one of the first questions they'll ask is yeah. well, what's your platform? Um, and so it isn't necessarily always that way with fiction. Obviously, if you have sold other books and you have, you know, a following and so on, it makes it, oh, well, he's got a following and, you know, he'll sell some books like that. I have a friend who wrote uh, back, basically his first book came out years ago. And uh, he was signing books at a table with a guy who's a famous author. So long line of people by the famous author. And he's got nobody in his line. <laughs> so this guy wrote a book too. Come, I'll sign it for you. Yeah. So finally, this lady starts walking up, very reverently holding his book in front of mm. him. And uh, she walks up to him and she goes, sir, is this a worthy book? Wow. And he goes, yeah, it's a worthy book. Uh, you know, it might not be your cup of tea. Maybe you like romance and it's more of a thriller or whatever it was, but, mm -hmm. but, um, but he's like, yeah, it's a worthy book. And so she said, would you kindly sign it for me? So he signed the book and wait, when he told me that story, I said, that's what I want to be able to do when, if I ever write a book, because it was before I'd ever written a novel. Right. I was yeah. like, I want to be able to look someone in the eye and say, yes, that is a worthy book. Like I didn't phone it in. I didn't just yeah. do something fast to try and get it out there. But it's really like, it's really worth your time. Yeah. And so 
I'm a big proponent, I guess, of just shooting for the stars when it comes toward the excellence of our writing and, um, and, and trusting that, you know, in the end, uh, you know, people will look at that. Hopefully, you know, I, I mm-hmm. see that in your case, it was frustrating, but, but hopefully look at that and say, look, this is someone we want to take a chance on. Yeah. Well, listen, I want to, I want to say to you and to, to everybody listening, I couldn't be happier about the way that things happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, would I love my novel to be published right now? You bet I would. But was I prepared at that time in my life to do what was necessary to uh, fulfill my mission in life? No, not even close. If I had published then, I would never have learned about marketing. I would have never learned about the community and and the grit that it takes to, to launch a book and get it out there into the world and reach people who have no business reading your book. And I, that's like... <laughs> Something I'm really excited about is, yeah. is people who aren't reading right now and, and getting that book in their hands and saying, okay, I'm going to take a try. I like that too. Yeah. You know, one of the biggest compliments I get, well, to me, the biggest compliment is when someone says, I hate reading, but yeah. I loved your book. I'm like, yes, awesome. That's like, I love that. Or they're like, I'm not a reader, but yes. I stayed up until three last you know night reading your novel. And yes. um, so to me, that's huge. I love that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Ender's game is that novel, not for me, but my, my good friend, he's really not a reader, uh, John. And he told me he just loved Ender's game. And so that's like, I want to do that for people. That's, that's really yeah. my goal. Excellent. Um, sure. I have this sense that we can have a pretty fascinating conversation about the element of marketing that's less intentional, but more background noise. You've written uh, a handful of novels Tell me about when you are thinking about writing the book, quote, for yourself versus writing the book for your readers um, and what that relationship is like. Well, over the years, I've done 18 novels. And so um, when I write in my mind, I always like, I guess it's sort of a mantra of mine. I always give the reader what they want or something better. So that's just kind of this thing I, I tell myself, give the reader what they want. If I'm writing a thriller, thrill them. If it's suspense or mystery, intrigue them, right? Or give them something better. So when someone comes to like, say a thriller, um, typically they, they, well, typically there might be like a chase scene, let's say in the middle of the book. Mm -hmm. Well, all right, give them a chase scene or give them something so interesting and exciting, fascinating and twisty that they get to the end. They're like, man, there was no chase scene. I didn't even notice that. Uh Like, that you gave him something better. Mm-hmm. So that's one perspective. The other perspective comes from a friend of mine named Tusca Lee, who says, write as if no one will ever read what you wrote. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so basically what she's saying is get out of the way, get out of your own way, mm-hmm. write something, just imagine that you're going to stick it in the closet. No one's ever going to read it. So basically be honest, mm-hmm. which is huge. Um, and so those are the kind of two factors that are going through my mind. I'm like, okay, I want to be completely honest with this story. I want to let the story, you know, I want to get out of the way of the story. And then I want to give people that come to this story, you know, a great experience. So um, it is, you might say, well, which one is this? I don't know exactly, but you can see how both of them are, are helpful, you know, perspectives as far as shaping your story. You literally brought tears to my eyes. I was listening to that. I was like, I haven't heard anybody describe it so perfectly, the push-pull that's happening, right? Like nobody uh, is ever going to read it and, you know, like delight your reader and give yeah. them what they expect or more. Those, the, the, the tension between those two things 
Wow, that's beautiful. I guess we're done. I mean, you've you've given us the secret. <laughs> um, All right. But, well, it's good. <laughs> yeah, it was great talking. So yeah. now, talk about uh, specifically a novel where you feel like maybe there was a challenge in that process, or where you started to get in the way of yourself and struggled. Hmm. I'm trying to think. You know, each book has its own struggles. Each book has its own difficulties. Whether it might be. The emotional uh, journey, maybe if I'm writing kind of a darker story or the research, if it's something that, you know, maybe not familiar with. I was just thinking of my latest uh, novel that's out, Synapse, and uh, it's written from a woman's perspective. Um, And so that didn't seem as hard to me as writing. There's also the perspective of a robot. So that Mm. was interesting. So like there are different point of views within the story, right? And so one's a woman, one's a robot. So trying to write from a robot's perspective, that's becoming self-aware, basically, that was a huge challenge. Um, And I had to, in a sense, step out of the way and just say, okay, it's not me writing this. Like, just get out of the way and write what this robot would be writing. And uh, so then, you, you know, you have to trust in a sense that your mind is going to be able to make that shift and tell that story in that unique perspective in that unique way. And did you feel when you were writing from the perspective of the robot, were there times where you were maybe incredulous about the things that were coming out? Or was there a level of trust once you sunk into the point of view? There were difficulties. One of the things that he did was write a poem about what pain is. Now, the thing is, pain is pretty hard to describe without just using synonyms for it anyway. Mm -hmm. But then to step into the mind of a robot and say, like, this robot is feeling pain for the first time. I'm like, what? How do you do that? Um, and so, again, just kind of saying, all right, I'm going to trust. I'm going to, you know, I sometimes give the example when I'm telling story or when I'm teaching that we have a leash on our characters. And I just tell people just cut the leash, literally. Mm. Let them act without restraint. Yeah. And that in that case wasn't as hard. But with some serial killers that I've written about that can be pretty um, troubling in some cases mm-hmm. to really write without restraining them and allow them free reign to do and think and say what they naturally would if this character were were in this book. And so, yeah, there have been a few times where that's how I'm like, I don't love where this is going, but I'm like, okay, that's the honest moment for the story. So I read your novel Singularity, and it interested me when you were talking about your newest novel that you are kind of returning to uh, the robot or artificial intelligence kind of theme. It seems like maybe that's uh, playing a big part in what you do. Why are you thinking about that? Well, I've done, you know, I did 11 books in a series about an FBI agent who tracks serial offenders, like serial killers, serial arsonists, and so on like that. And so as I was working on that series, I kept doing research on emerging technology, Mm -hmm. like that he would use in his work at the FBI. And so sometimes I would come up with someone and say, man, that's a really interesting facet of technology, but doesn't quite fit in this story. You know, it doesn't quite fit in the world of this FBI agent. And so at the time, one of them was Singularity. As you mentioned, I was like, I think that this is an intriguing perspective, but it needs to be a different set of characters. So it mm-hmm. ended up being that. Same thing about five or six years later when I was working on this new one, Synapse. I was like, yeah, this is fascinating stuff, but doesn't fit into the realm that I've created. So 
I think, and, and part of it, this is actually a good maybe moment to say this, that I really feel like it's important for creative people to risk, um, to take risks. Hmm. Um, so like, I was writing these FBI thrillers and I'd done 11 of them and the opportunity had come to maybe perhaps do more. And, but I had these other ideas and I was like, you know what? I just feel like if I keep doing the same thing, I might not grow. I might end up doing sort of cookie cutter stories that are just mm. the same thing, a repackage kind of, I didn't want to do it. So I was like, I'm going to write a science fiction story and then yeah. I'm going to write a spy novel and I'm going to write another book on writing. And so there's mm. like this spectrum of stuff that I started to do over the last maybe three or four years now. And, um, and, you know, some things work, some, maybe you don't, maybe it doesn't work and you fall on your face, but, but I feel like if you don't, if you're not willing to risk, you're never going to really experience the creative life. I mean, you can make a lot of money writing formulaic stories. Yeah. Uh, if that's, you know, if that's your bent and that's what you want to do, like law and order, every single episode of law yeah. and order is exactly the same right. like down to the minute. Like, you know, you can like folk you know you and there's hundreds and hundreds of maybe thousands mm -hmm. of law and order episodes. so yeah. so certainly i mean if that's your bent you can do that but for me it's a little different it's like i really want to explore and tell different types of stories instead of just the same story over and over again i find that desire is really deep in me as well i uh, I started out in the literary tradition, partly because I went through the the academic kind of upbringing. I got my MFA from Eastern Washington University and wrote a really experimental literary novel um, and realized that was going to be impossible to sell as an unknown. And so I wrote a detective novel. But what I've realized through writing a detective novel is that my passion really does lie somewhere inside of the various genres. Like it's so much fun to, to play with elements of genre, whether it's thriller or like you said, spy or action adventure, those things are, are really great. I want to ask a question that um, if you want to take a pass on it, feel free, but you mentioned falling flat, you said, or falling <laughs> on your face. I think I would love to hear about a time when you put a book out to the market that you felt, and you don't have to name the title, but uh, you can, if you want, um, when you feel like you fell on your face and what the relationship with that book was like. I can, I, I think of in some cases, like some book proposals that I've sent out books that I've written that have never sold. Um, yeah. In that case, it's no, no, no novels. All my novels have sold, but, but, um, but there was one novel that I wrote and um, I, uh, I wrote it without a contract. That's the only one I've ever done that with. I've always, I've otherwise had contracts to write my novels. And so I was like, I'm going to write one without a contract. And so mm -hmm. I did, it took a year. Um, and I was like, all right, now we're going to sell it. My agent hated it. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> It's so like my agent and I ended up parting ways because of oh, this experience, oh which was gosh. fine. It was, it was actually very positive in the end, yeah. probably for both of us. But but uh, anyway, so yeah, we, we ended up parting ways. So then it was like getting a new agent and then shopping a book around. And uh, some of the places where I thought it would maybe be a good fit said no. It eventually did sell to someone. But, but mm. I was like, man, I just spent a year of my life on a book mm. without a contract, with no income. And I might not sell it. So that was, that was interesting. But again, it's, it's part of the gig. I mean, here's mm -hmm. what we do. And, yeah. you know, sometimes you'll have a contract and you'll write your book. That's amazing. That's fun. Sometimes you might not have your contract. You'll just have your idea. And you're like, I believe in this idea. And I'm going to yeah. write whatever, a proposal or a book or whatever it might be. And, and so, um, 
so yeah so it risk is is ne- i think necessary and and scary and all of those things at the same time mm mm-hmm. You know what that sound is? That's the sound of the freshest cup of coffee you'll ever taste from Writer's Block Coffee. Find a link in today's show notes or simply type in www.writersblockcoffee forward slash TRBM. That stands for the Reluctant Book Marketer. I'm author Christopher Tallon, inviting you to listen in on my conversations with creative people of all types on my podcast, Creative Ops. Catch new episodes of Creative Ops Mondays, wherever you get podcasts. I'm thinking about the idea of putting that book then out on the market with all of the tumultuousness. And was it difficult for you to, say, perform a reading or give a talk on it? and feel a level of confidence? Or did you have that tenacity to know, like, I'm proud of this thing and I'm, I'm gonna convince the world that it is as beautiful as I know it is? That's interesting. Um, I've, I end up really believing in the stories that I write. Like, yeah. I don't know if it's the same for everyone, but like when I've written the, every novel, when I finished it, I'm like, that is the best that I have to offer the world at this time in my life. Now, it doesn't mean they're the best novels in the world. It doesn't mean that 10 years later, I might not look at it and say, oh, crap, why did I say this or do this or whatever? But when I write a book, I won't send it in to the publisher until I feel like there's nothing I can improve in that story. Mm. So uh, in some cases, I've met my deadlines. In some cases, I haven't met my deadlines. But yeah, but over the years, I can say that in in every one of those cases in all 18 novels that when I sent it in, I was like, okay, there's nothing that I know of in my, in my own experience to be able to improve this. Mm. Now, um, again, that doesn't mean that they're perfect, but it does mean that if basically if I could improve it, well, why don't I? Like if I know that there's an issue with it, whereas a weakness, the character isn't very good or even a word, mm somewhere is like i don't know if that's the right word or not well why would i send it in mm-hmm. to me yeah. i wouldn't and so um in the end it's like every word i've scratched my head every comma i've said is this you know the best place for a comma and stuff so mm-hmm. anyway that's why I'm, I'm i'm fanatical about that not everyone is but yeah i just kind of look at every book as what if this is the last thing i offer the world like what if I pass away or die or whatever it is, or, or just can't write anymore for whatever reason, yeah. is this what I would want my, I don't know, legacy or whatever, you know, to be. Sure. And so if I look at it and I'm like, you know, I don't know. I mean, this is kind of lame. I wouldn't want it out there. So I don't send it out there. Yeah. Yeah. Until it's right. yeah. I love that. And I, I relate to it 100%. It's, it's very difficult for me to start to submit any kind of work until I think it's perfect. And so I don't know about you, but then I actually get defensive when people are like, I need you to change this. <laughs> I'm a little baby. I have to, I have to really pull back. So I, I've, I've started to tell my agent, like, give me the feedback and and then let's talk after that, because I, I need to be able to hear it and not respond right away. Um, do you have any sense of defensiveness about your work at all? Okay. So it's interesting. Like if you, th- okay. So think of it this way, let's say you're an artist and you spend a year on a painting um, every brush stroke you've thought about, every color palette or whatever you've you've focused. On. So a year of your life, 10 hours a day, you've spent on this painting. 
And then it goes to a museum and they hand out paintbrushes to young students who just graduated <laughs> from art college who have an art manual. And they're like, oh, just go ahead and just touch it up or tweak it or whatever term they want to use. And um, and then if Steve, if you don't like the changes, you can just change it back at the end. <laughs> if I was an artist, can you imagine any artist not going completely insane from that process? <laughs> That's what happens to authors every day. Like they'll go in and, um, yeah, I've been writing, you know, since 96, I guess. So a lot of people who are editors maybe just don't have as much experience as I do. And so they might say, oh, you should change this or whatever. And I'm thinking, no, come on. No, yeah. I shouldn't because like it, that's not as strong or whatever. And, and so um, I've had some experiences over the years with editors who just maybe don't know as much about how to make a story work. And so I find it frustrating, say the least, if they start telling you what you're supposed to do and stuff like that. So so I tend to be more uh, like the author who front loads stuff. Like I do most of the work myself and, mm-hmm. and I send it in, it's pretty much ready. Like mm-hmm. I know some authors like to go back and forth, like they'll send right. it in, get notes from the editor, get notes from their agent, change, revise, send it in again, go back and forth like this. and that's not really the best process for me. So uh, I mean, it's different for everyone. That's fine. I'm, you know, if you know, whatever works for you and your publisher and your, you know, editor and stuff like that. So, but I, I tend not to um, be as uh, devoted or I'm not devoted anyway, as big of a fan of that process for myself. Yeah. I like that. I really enjoy that. I I think that I talk to a lot of writers on a daily basis who are very protective of their vision and what they're doing. And there's that version of what you're doing, which is just a meticulous attention to detail. And then I think that there are people who um, are precious. I'm probably a little closer to the precious side where uh, maybe my my anger is not as defensible. Um, But there have been times where I've had to say, I got, I got to keep this and be willing to stand my ground and say, if we got to part ways, we got to part ways. Cause there's a reason I have this vision. Um, and I think that that's really important as well. So I want to ask you about the, we wouldn't be a marketing show if I didn't ask you about the money side of things. There's this quote, most of our lives will be underpaid for the work that we do. Um, <laughs> that comes to be very true of authors uh, talk to me about your mindset early on with publishing, writing. You had to have been writing behind closed doors before you ever submitted anything for quite some time. How did you do it um, for free for all of that time? If you're a writer, by the time that you die, you will probably not have been paid minimum wage for what you wrote. I mean, it's probably <laughs> not going to happen. For the yeah. amount of time that it takes to write, research, edit, proofread, all of that kind of stuff, even marketing you know, can be a part of all of the package of putting your book out there to the world. I mean, by the end, you'll, you'll be lucky to have, you know, even sold your book, let alone, you know, made back the money. And so you have to look at it like what to you is a success? Like, um, is it landing an agent? Is it landing a publisher, a big publisher? Is it hitting a certain bestseller status? Um, is it certain review from Publishers Weekly or someone where they liked it and now you're a success? So I think in your own term or in your own mind, you have to say, what to me equals success? 
and then be willing to sacrifice for it. I mean, everything that um, that's really worthwhile, I feel like requires sacrifice. So, so whatever dream that might be, whether it's write a book, climb a mountain, run a marathon, it's going to take sacrifice, discipline, perseverance, little by little, you're going to move your way forward. So, um, so I don't typically look at it in terms of hourly pay because right. that would start <laughs> disheartening at certain times. So, uh, this is not a profitable venture going on over on this side of the microphone. <laughs> uh, it will be though. And, and kind of, you talked to a little bit about reverse engineering or kind of planning from the back forward. That's, that's kind of how I've done this as well as think, okay, I know how much time it's going to take to get where I'm going and have those goals and plans along the way. Uh, are you the kind of author who you knew when you set out on this journey, I'm going to make a living doing this? Or was it sort of, let's figure out along the way? I wish that I was smart enough to say that I had specific plans and goals and stuff like that. But but truthfully, no. I mean, at the beginning, I didn't make a lot of money. Uh, some years I don't make a lot of money. Some years are okay. But but um, it, it varies so much on forces that have nothing to do with me, whether or not there's a pandemic or, or not. Right. Whether, I mean, whether or not some marketer somewhere decides to actually do her job one day or not, you know, at a publisher. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just like, so um, I can't get bent out of shape about numbers or what sells or what doesn't sell. It's sure. just, I, I just feel like I'm a storyteller. Yeah. And so if I have an idea, I'm like, I'm going to tell this story. Or I'm going to write this story. Like, it, if you looked at my career, you would say, "Steve, your career makes absolutely no sense." Like, I've written about 54 books over the course of my life um, on nonfiction, instructional books, and inspirational books, and, and fiction novels, and so on. But you'd like, okay, look, you've written books on how to tell Bible stories to preschool children, and you write serial killer novels. <laughs> it's like, you know. Uh, my wife says it's like inviting Stephen King over to do a puppet show for your kindergarten class. <laughs> you know, so it's like if you were to say, okay, Steve, you should, you know, plan out your, what is your brand? And then write within your brand and all this. Like, right. I'm like, well, you tell me what my brand is. I'm like, yeah. I've done, you know, variety, even novels and then sci-fi, fantasy, YA, thrillers, suspense, mystery, crime. And, and so uh, so it doesn't make any sense. Like if I would have yeah. thought about it at the beginning, none of this stuff would have made sense. So instead it's just like, all right, look, I believe in this idea. I want to pursue it. And, and like looking backwards, you say, oh my gosh, it doesn't make sense yeah. to do it this way. But, but, um, but I guess for me, it's just been about pursuing the stories that I feel like need to be told. Telling telling the most important story you can tell in the best way you can tell it is, I think, the only sustainable reason to keep doing what we do. Uh, It goes back to the beginning when we were talking about, you know, delight your reader and give them more than they expected almost. I mean, I'm now I'm really paraphrasing what you said, but um, (laughs) kind of that idea. So before we hit record, I told you I was going to ask this question and um, I'm going to kind of rephrase how I ask it, but because across all of your titles, you told me you have hit the million copies mark. So you sold a million books across all of your titles. When you think about the idea of writing your next book, whatever is about to come out, that book selling a million copies, uh, is is that something that is feasible to you? And what would it look like to do that? 
I mean, I think it's feasible. I don't know marketing wise what will happen with my next book when it comes out. Um, but I feel like it's a story that could um, stand up to you know, other books that sell that, that many copies. Like, I feel like it's as good as they are. So it's just, you know, trying to find, I guess the advice I would say is like, look, work hard at the story, work hard at the marketing, right? I have nothing against marketing. It's just like, I'm not a specialist at it. But you know, when your publisher says, can you do a podcast? Can you do an interview? Maybe a blog post? Can you post this or whatever? I'm like, definitely just tell me what to do. And I'll literally do it. I just don't think of stuff on my own that much. Like uh, my daughter, who's doing some of my marketing for me now, she'd be like, well, take pictures of this or that. I'm like, why? It's like, well, so you can post it. You know, I'm like, yeah, oh, I didn't even think of that. Like, I would never have thought of posting a hike in the mountains or something like that. But yeah, but she, no, no, that's exactly what it is. So, so yeah, it, I, but believe in your stories, write stories worth reading where that would spit that would um, stand the test of time as much as possible. In other words, that people five, 10 years from now would want to still read where it would come out and they'd be like, that's worth reading. I heard someone say one time that literature is news that stays news. That mm. means I think that like n- news is we will sit and watch the news, like, but you probably won't reread the newspaper if you even get a newspaper, you know, five times. Or you're probably right. not going to rewatch the CNN broadcast from tonight five times, but you might reread your favorite novel five times. Yeah. Because it's literature. It stays news. It stays, you know, because it speaks, I think the truth about human nature, not about one event that occurred. So that's what I'm trying to do. Um, I guess, you know, when I first start, I moved from writing for magazines to writing books kind of because I realized one day that everything I was writing for these magazines was going to end up at the bottom of someone, someone's bird cage, like within a week. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I was like, is that really what I want my life to be? Nothing against it. I'm not judging anyone else. Yeah. Right. But I'm like, I want something where someone would buy it, let's say, and say, I want to reread this. So I wanted yeah. to move from writing kind of stuff that was just like there and you can move past it. That's fine. Mm-hmm. To writing stuff where you're like, that was so interesting or intriguing or whatever mm-hmm. that I want to revisit that. So yeah, yeah. that's the kind of journey I took. I love that. I, um, at the beginning of my journey, I was submitting to literary magazines. Um, so like your tin houses, your plowshares, those kind of places. And I realized that uh, I would get an acceptance. I would get published in one of those journals or magazines and it felt exciting. And I knew nobody was reading it. I was like, it's basically like I just stuck it in my drawer. And I know that's horrible to say, but it's true. Those magazines are closing at a ridiculously rapid rate because they don't care about going out and getting readers. And I think one thing that you've you've been fortunate with is that your publishers uh, have, have done a lot of the marketing for you. And that's gotten the word out. And like you said, you're doing some marketing yourself by posting things on social media you're getting your book out there. You care about selling it. Your publisher cares about selling it. Sure. Uh, that is such an important thing. But even if you move the magazine with an article, it has a, a, a shelf life and then it's, <laughs> it's bird, bird, bird toilet. So <laughs> that is, that's something to think about. So going forward, um, as things have changed, what would you say is the most disruptive part of the publishing process that you thought I never expected to see that happen? 
I think that, I mean, I, I would say that it has to do with marketing. Um, I had one of the publishers that I write for, you know, basically say, we want, you know, basically saying, we want you to do what we used to do. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, well, so it's very difficult as a writer, as a storyteller to say, okay, look, my specialty is this, like you can give me ideas and I can post them. I can chat with people. I can do all of those things. That's fine. But it's not what I'm good at. Yeah. If what I'm good at is telling stories. So I always feel like it would make more sense for them to hire someone who's actually good at all of those steps, right? marketing or the press releases and meetings or whatever it is. I don't even know. So yeah, things have definitely shifted over the last 15 years toward a lot more of, you know, the question of like, what's your social footprint and hmm. how many followers do you have? So that even they'll sometimes give book contracts to someone who doesn't have an idea, mm -hmm. but just as a platform. Yeah. So like I even had one publisher tell me, you know, all, we just for nonfiction. We just look at their social um, footprint or whatever it's called. I don't even know. Yeah. Impact. Something. Yep. And she's like, we have people that can write the book for them. So like if you have 500,000 followers on YouTube or something, you'll get to contract and mm -hmm. they'll just assign someone to write the book for you. And see, that's very different than it used to be. It, it didn't used yeah. to be like, it used to be like, if you had a great idea, that could be sold. Now it's like, if you have a great following, you can sell your stuff. So, yeah. So yeah, it's a little frustrating and it is, it has been disruptive, I think for publishing and probably, you know, frankly, you know, self-publishing has been disruptive as well. Yeah. Um, because a problem for me, the problem is not where you publish, whether it's with a traditional publisher or self-published, but it's when you publish. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people will self-publish their stuff before it's really ready, before it's yes. been edited and proofread. And, and so like in traditional publishing, there are so many gatekeepers. There's an agent and there's an editor and acquisitions mm -hmm. board and all these people. So that by the time it's been published, I mean, a lot of eyes have looked at it and said, this is a worthy story or whatever, you know. You yeah. know uh, but if it's just me in my basement saying, I think it's pretty good. I'll just hit press, enter and like publish right. it. That's happening a lot. And I don't think that it's really elevating the quality of writing as, as it could. Yeah. So I would encourage people really, you know what? I know it's no fun to get a rejection letter. I've gotten my share, but I would say really strive to, you, you know, a lot of people will be like, well, I got rejected. So I'll just self-publish it. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> if you got rejected, there's probably a reason literally, but yeah. It, it, and so it's not going to help the story to just self-publish it. So like I tell people yeah. sometimes the best time to self-publish is if you get a contract offer and then you look at it and you're like, I can make more self-publishing or whatever. So I'm going to choose that. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But at least, you know, it's worthwhile. That's brilliant. So I just meet so many people that have said to me almost in these exact words, I'm just going to self-publish it and see how it does. Right. I can tell you how it's going to do. It's, no yeah. one's going to buy it yep. because there's 3000 books that come out a day, mm -hmm. you know? Um, right. And so how's anyone going to find your book if you just stick it out there? So the big question that I, or the big, the actually the reframing that I tell people is, and this probably will fit and go with your podcast is basically I say, the question is not, should you self 
publish. It's do you want to self-market? Yeah. Um, because right. if you self-publish it, you're the only marketer, right? You're the only one out there. And if that's your thing, maybe that's a good fit for you. I mean, if you love it, if you love the analytics and trying to decipher the algorithms and all that kind of stuff, maybe that, you know, you can have fun and you really enjoy it. Some people, it's not their cup of tea. And so it might not yeah. be as good a fit, you know? I, I do think everything you're saying is true. And I think that there's still space in the traditional publishing market for people to uh, have a marketing team behind him. Stephen King does not do any of his own marketing, although at this point he doesn't need to, because if mm -hmm. you just put his name in gold on a book, it's gone. Um, and that's great. He deserves that. I, I never want people to get the idea that he doesn't deserve that. He's a brilliant writer, uh, regardless of how you feel about anything else. He's a brilliant writer. Uh, but I also think what you're saying about self-publishing and mid-list publishing, anybody in the mid-list, we're all marketing ourselves now. Um, yeah. The truth and where I would land it for, for my perspective is most of marketing in our modern world is getting people to have a favorable impression of you and know who you are. That's the only goal of marketing. That's what I tell anybody who's listening to this show, boil it down to those two things. Make sure people know who you are and make sure that their impression of you is majority favorable. You want some haters, but I mean, <laughs> you need the majority to like you. Uh, and so be compelling, be interesting. All the things that you've said, you brought so much meat to this interview, so much stuff that I want people to go back and listen to it a second time because you have some really great just single line quotes in here about how to approach the process, how to write great work, how to market when you don't think you're a marketer. You've done it <laughs> yet again. Is You're marketing yourself in ways you don't even realize. Um, but I want to be respectful of your time. I told you that I would take 45 minutes. I've already taken 48. So please tell my listeners uh, what you've got coming out, where they can find you, how they can connect with you. I appreciate it. So yeah, and it's been my honor to be on your show. I appreciate your time and everything. And so basically stephenjames.net is a good portal for everything Stephen James. Uh, my new thriller will be out next year. I have a book on storytelling, The Art of the Tale that just released here. Um, this actually releases this week um, in August, at the end of August here. And so if you're interested in storytelling, you can check that out. I've got books on, on writing. Always follow me at Read Stephen James on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And you can always message me through those things. I will do my best to stay up to speed. <laughs> and I'll try to post a picture or two of myself up in the mountains. How's that sound? Awesome. It's perfect. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Uh, really enjoyed uh, Singularity. I look forward to reading more of your work. Thank you for your time. And uh, I'm sure we'll catch up. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a big favor right now. Click on the follow button in whatever podcast app you're listening on. That way you'll get notifications every time I drop a new episode. And if you still can't get enough, you can go to the show notes, click the link for my newsletter, and sign up today. I'll give you one to two interesting pieces of content every single month that you won't hear on the podcast or find laying around on the internet.